Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Acts. All right. Acts chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. And as many of you know, we're looking through the life of Peter on Sunday mornings, which will lead us into First and Second Peter, the epistles that Peter was the human penman of. But, uh, but as we've been in the life of Peter, we've learned much about him, and he's learned much about himself, but the greatest knowledge of all is the knowledge he's learned about the Lord. And as Peter would later write in the last verse of the last book that bears his name, he would say this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's much more to learn than we could ever imagine about the Lord, about, about the Lord himself, about his grace. There's so much to learn about the Lord. And Peter knew that. And as Peter walked with the Lord for three years, a little over three years in, in, on this, uh, in the Lord's earthly ministry through the Gospels, that wasn't it. There's still more for Peter to learn. And you find that as you come over into the historic book of Acts, all right? And as you find your place there in Acts chapter number 10, Please know that Peter is about to learn a very valuable lesson. And really, as you come to the book of Acts in chapter 10, history is really about to be made as well. It's a very historic chapter. And you say, well, why is, why is that a historic chapter? Well, it's because in this chapter, we find out along with Peter that the, the door of the gospel is about to be opened to the Gentiles. Now, just in case... You don't know what a Gentile is. A Gentile is an individual who is not uh, Jewish, all right? Is anybody here your full, full-blooded Jewish individual? Anybody? Then you're a Gentile. All right, that's what that means. That means you, okay? But the door is about to be opened unto the Gentile. And this should be an exciting chapter for all Gentiles, all right? Because up to this point, as you read through the book of Acts, the Jews have been, have been uh, preached to, rather, the gospel has been preached to the Jews. And really, the gospel has, uh, for, for the most part, been preached by the Jews. And it's been mainly preached around Jerusalem. You see in Acts chapter 2, it was preached there at Pentecost. And then, then Acts chapter 3 through 7, you see them preaching the gospel around the temple area. And then even after the death of Stephen, with the help of persecution, of course, uh, Jewish believers will be scattered everywhere preaching the gospel, mainly in the area of Judea and Samaria. And, of course, they would mainly go to the Jewish individuals of, that, of those areas. And really those areas uh, were made up primarily of Jewish people. But, uh, but they've been preaching to the Jews mainly. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ was death, burial, and resurrection. But as you come to chapter 10, history is being made. The gospel... Is about to reach to the regions beyond. It's going to reach a different set of people because the gospel is coming to a Roman Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And it's Peter that's going to give this Roman Gentile the gospel. And Peter was going to learn that the gospel that he has preached, that he has believed, is not just for the Jews only, but is for whosoever. And Peter would later echo this very sentiment when he put these, these words to paper in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a wonderful truth. 
To know that the gospel, to know that Jesus Christ is not just for a certain section of people, but it's for whosoever. It's for all men, it's for all women, every boy, every girl. Jesus, his gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection is for every single one. And yes, the Lord made that known to them just before he ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but now it's becoming a reality. The gospel is for everyone. So let's look at it together. In Acts chapter number 10, and we'll start in verse number, verse number 1 through 8, and we're going to go through the whole, the whole chapter, but I'm going to do it very quickly, okay? I promise, or at least try to, and, uh, but we'll look at it together. All right, look at the first verse, uh, verse 1 through verse number 8, okay? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what the oughtest to do. So even preachers went to the beach. Anyway, okay, verse number 7. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And we had declared all these things unto them. He sent them to Joppa. Our fathers, we look to your word this morning. I pray you to arrest our attention and help us to see this wonderful truth that the gospel is for anybody and help us to leave this place today Encouraged to give the gospel to every single person we come in contact with to the best of our ability. Help us to be doers of the word. Help us to be planters and those who water because we know that God gives the increase. Help us, I pray. Thank you for the gospel. And that's for anyone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first thing I want to see as we come to this portion of Scripture and consider that the gospel is coming to the Gentiles is as we look at this Roman man here, Cornelius, the first thing I want to see about him is this. Number one, understand something. Cornelius was a stand-up guy, all right? He was just a good dude. He was a good man. And whenever you see someone who is honest, who has great integrity, and who has the uh, respect of others around them, normally you would look at that individual and you say, man, that... That fellow there, he's a stand-up guy. Or that lady there, she is a stand-up type of gal. That's just a good individual. And if we were to meet Cornelius and know him personally, this is what we would have said about him. That's just a good man there. And notice a few things about his, his um, character, all right, if you will. The first thing we see this, as I see at least, is number one, he was a leader. Now, Cornelius was a centurion. That's what the Bible says about him here. And a centurion would have been a person who had been in the Roman military, but he'd been in charge of at least 100 men under his command. He'd have been responsible for them on the battlefield, would have gave them instruction on the battlefield, would have commanded them on the battlefield, and it would have taken a strong leader to do just that. It would seem that Cornelius was a good one. He was a good leader. Because the Bible says in verse number 7 that he had a devout soldier who waited on him continually. And no doubt that Cornelius gained the respect of those 
to whom served, even served him under his leadership. And listen, when you gain the respect and loyalty of those around you, it's a sign of great leadership. Even this man, he would tell this soldier to go a two days journey down to Joppa to, to meet a man he's never met, don't even know, only knows him by name and where he lives, and tell him to come back to Caesarea. Who would do that except an individual who's loyal to their leader? I believe that Cornelius was a good leader. He was also a devout man, the Bible says here. Have you ever heard someone say about an individual that that man is a devoted husband, or he's a devoted father, or that lady is a devoted wife, she is a devoted mother. Or they look at a young person and say, that's just a devoted young person there. You ever heard anybody say that? One, two, four, five, six. Okay, a few of you have. All right, good. Well, uh, this was a devout man. He was devoted here. But what does that mean? That means to be sold out. And so when you look at somebody who's a devout husband and father or a lady who is a devout mother or, or wife or a devout young, young person, what you're saying is that individual, they're just, they're just sold out. But what was Cornelius sold out to? Well, where at one time he may have been sold out or devout to the Roman Empire and its agenda, I believe we see now he's trying his best to be sold out or devout to God. And I say that because this next credential of his character, number three, he feared God. Can I tell you something? I believe it's still an important thing and a great thing to fear the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of of death. Fearing the Lord is a good thing, but sometimes I believe we get it mixed up. I believe we get this uh, good thing of fearing the Lord a little mixed up because the fear that I'm talking about when it comes to the fear of God or fear of the Lord is not the fear that He's going to strike me dead at any time, even though He could. All right. Yes, He's Almighty. Yes, He can. And the Bible does say, Hebrews 10 31, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. That's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear of the Lord is this. It's a deep respect, a deep honor, and a deep reverence. And because of that deep respect and honor and reverence you have for God, it, would, it should cause you to fear that you would ever offend Him. We live in a world that it seems everybody's offended at something. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. Just offended at anything and everything. That offended me. Well, good mind. I'm sorry. I like the color blue. I'm wearing a blue shirt. I'm sorry I offended you, you know. But people get offended all the time at something. And they seem to be afraid to offend somebody and other people except God. They could care less if they offend Him. Why? Have no fear of God before their eyes. Now, if I wanted to know how much you fear the Lord, or if you want to know how much I fear the Lord, we wouldn't ask ourselves, hey, do you fear God? Because listen, our pride will not allow us to answer honestly. Yeah, that's right. Our pride will not allow us to answer honestly. We'd say, of course I fear God. So that's not the question I would ask, though. So the question that I would ask, and I need to ask even myself today, 
To find out how much I really fear God is this question. You ready? How much do you hate sin? And I'm not talking about the sin that's out in the world today. It's a lot easier to point fingers at those, those wicked sinners outside these doors. I'm talking about the wicked sinners that are sitting on these pews this morning. Sorry about that, but not really. Because <laughs> we're all sinners. We all have a wicked heart. So let me ask you, how much do you hate your own sin? That's a question we all need to ask because I tell you, it'll show how much you really fear the Lord. Let me tell you why. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 16 and verse number 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. That's how we know if we fear the Lord or not. But how much we hate our own sin. But here's a man who feared God. Man, this is a good dude here. He feared God. He was devout. This is a good dude here. Great leader. This is a good man here. Then we see he was generous, number four. And no doubt, as a high-ranking military official in the Roman military, Cornelius was a well-to-do kind of fellow. He probably had about anything he needed, didn't want for nothing, and yet, as he had what he needed and then some, he was not stingy with it. No, he would give to folks who may not have been as uh, uh, well-to-do as he was. And he didn't give just a little bit. Rather, he would give, as the Bible says, much alms to the people. And this word much here is a Greek word polios, meaning many or abundant. All right? He just he gave a lot. He was generous. Much alms. You know, we can learn a lot from this fellow. As believers, we can learn a lot from Cornelius in this area of life, of being generous, of giving bountifully. Because the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his own heart, let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Listen, of all the people in all the world, the most generous people there should be, it should be God's people. I'll say amen for you, all right? We should be generous people. And this fellow here was a generous man. Then we see this. He was a praying man. The Bible says that he prayed to God always. And I don't know about you, but this point right here, as I consider his character and consider him as an individual, is a very convicting one. You think, well, why is that? Well, knowing that a man, listen, who did not know God personally, yet he prayed persistently. <laughs> he didn't know God yet. It's not a safe man yet. Yet he prayed to God always. This unsaved man may have had a better prayer life than many saved people even today. I like what one commentator, one preacher said about Cornelius and this matter of, of praying here, praying God always. He said this, For a believer, praying should be as natural as breathing. Yet if the truth be told, very few of us could favorably be compared to Cornelius. Because some brethren do not pray beyond the worship services. Some brethren make an effort to offer thanks or ask the blessing at mealtimes, even call upon the Lord during times of trouble. Even other brethren might actually pray to start off the day or before they go to bed at night. But how many of us actually fulfill the command of 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when it says to pray without ceasing? How can we expect God to be near to us if we are far from Him? James 4, 8 promises us that if we draw nigh, not near to God, He will draw nigh unto us. A prayer is the most intimate way in which we can draw near to our great God 
I do not know of a better and swifter way to be close to God and tap into His love and His power and joy and His peace than through fervent prayer. God, help us. Those that know Jesus as Savior, God, help us to be people who truly pray. But this man did. But he didn't know the Lord yet. He's not a saved man yet. He was a good man. He had some good credentials. But even this man knew that his goodness, listen, he knew that his goodness was not good enough. He still needed a Savior. Uh, I like the quote that C.S. Lewis said one time. He said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. <laughs> That's so true. Listen, our goodness will never get us into heaven. It will never earn us in the spot in the Lamb's book of life. No, Jesus did that. He's the only one that could. For salvation is of the Lord, not of our goodness. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter was learning this lesson. And Cornelius here, yeah, we see him. Stand up guy, he's a good dude. But see this, number two. He was a seeking man as well. He was a seeking man. Now the Bible said that Cornelius here, he sent them, them meaning the servants and soldier, to Joppa. Why? He needed to get Peter. Now it's kind of interesting to me as I think of, of uh, Cornelius here that he may have already known a little bit about the Lord. I mean, he did pray to God at least always. So he had some kind of knowledge. Maybe he had a knowledge of even the Lord Jesus himself. Because the Bible does say in verse 22, we'll read in a moment, but that uh, Cornelius was a man who had a good report among all the nation of the Jews. So maybe since the people of the nation of the Jews, the Jerusalem area, and the area surrounding that, Maybe they told Cornelius of the many things that Jesus had done. Maybe he had heard about the mighty miracles that the Lord had done, the healing of the sick, the, the causing the blind to see, raising people from the dead, healing all kinds of different diseases, casting out the, 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 the demons and all of that. Maybe he'd heard of all that. Maybe he had, since he had a good report of all those of the nation of the Jews. Or maybe even this man Cornelius himself was one of the soldiers that were there when they arrested the Lord, maybe he was there with them. You remember that band of men, some 600 Roman soldiers came with that, that betrayer Judas. And they asked him, uh, Jesus said, who come you, are you coming to seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Jesus say? I am he. And what happened to all those Roman soldiers? They fell flat on their back, went backward, and fell down. Maybe he was one of the soldiers. Since he was part of the military, Roman military, or maybe he was even, uh, as he's a leader uh, here, maybe he was the one that was barking the commands as they would beat the Lord Jesus with the cat of nine tails. That was a Roman scourging, after all. Or maybe he was even there when the soldiers led Jesus up to Mount Calvary. Maybe he witnessed, Cornelius witnessed the crucifixion of the Lord. Maybe he witnessed him shedding his blood, dying for the sin of the whole world. Maybe he witnessed the middle of the day coming as black as midnight. Maybe he heard the very gracious words of Christ when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe that rung, rang without, within his heart for, for the days and years following. Maybe he even heard the words when Jesus said, It is finished. Maybe he even saw all of this. Saw Jesus bleed and die and was buried. Maybe, maybe he witnessed all of this because the Bible does tell us there was a centurion there. In Mark chapter 15, verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out, gave up the ghost, said, Truly, 
This man was the son of God. The centurion, whoever that was, was there. And it possibly it could have been him. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe he was there and saw all that. Maybe more. We don't know. But we do know this, that Cornelius was a seeking man. He was seeking the truth. I want us all to know something this morning. There are people just like Cornelius, seeking truth. Why? Because we live in a world that is so confused and confusing. They're seeking answers, not knowing which way to turn, not knowing what to believe. And by the way, this is where the devil wants all of us. In a state of confusion all the time. Why? So we can keep people in bondage and keep them in darkness. Yet God desires for them to have the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. God desires for everyone to know truth. Why? Because the Bible says in, in John chapter number 8 verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But what is the truth? Jesus made it plain when he was praying in the garden. In John chapter 17, he said, Thy word is truth. The Word of God is truth. That's truth. And the truth will set you free. And the Son, therefore, John 8, 36, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Listen, Jesus gives freedom. You find it through knowing the truth and knowing Him. That is the Lord. And this is what Cornelius desired. To know the truth, to know the Lord. But how is he going to get it? Who is going to give him the truth? Who is going to give this Roman Gentile man the truth? It's going to be Peter. Of all the people, the apostle Peter. Look at verse number 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nine to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. That is proof he was a Baptist. Amen. Verse number 10 came very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him. As it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things, fowls of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. By the way, that's not a good thing to say to the Lord. Not so, Lord. Don't say that. All right. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted himself with this vision, which he had seen should mean, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek for thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God. Good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, lodged them, 
And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and called together his kinsmen and near friends. That's the first friend and family day in Scripture. Amen, right there. All right. Verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you. Without gain, saying, As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, For what intent you have sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thy alms, alms are, are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee. And thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here, present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Listen, here, Peter, having been instructed by the Lord through a dream, of things that were considered by the Jews at this time dirty and unclean, ceremonially dirty and unclean. Of course, the Lord is using the illustration of the unclean animals, but of course it meant talking about the Gentiles, who they, the Jews, they considered unclean. But through that dream, Jesus was letting Peter know that, listen, don't consider them unclean to keep yourself from them. The Gentiles and Jews are now on level ground. What made that ground level to where they're all the same is this. The cross on which Jesus died made all ground for every sinner, don't matter if Gentile or Jew, which they stand, made it all level. The cross of Christ made the ground level. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ for all mankind proved that all mankind needed a Savior, not just the Jews the Gentiles as well. And there's no little big U's and little I's. There's no I'm better than you or you're, you're worse than me kind of thing. No, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 19, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all, all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judged that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live shall not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Listen, everyone, mark it down, everyone, everywhere needs a Savior. That's what that means. Everybody does. And Peter, now having understood the teaching and instruction of this dream, does this. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Amen. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. 
that word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and to de- dead. To him, verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. Amen. Peter said it. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Peter preached the gospel to these dear Gentile people. It's really amazing. It's amazing to me. Listen, God didn't have to use Peter. I mean, even the angel came down in the very beginning of this chapter and spoke with Cornelius. You remember that, right? But he used Peter here to let it be known that this gospel, that this Savior, the Lord Jesus, is for whosoever. There are folks all around us that are seeking the truth, to know the way, the truth, and the life. And they may be, listen, listen, folks all around us, they may be praying to a God they don't know, seeking answers they don't have to questions that have no end. People all around us are seeking. But the question is this. Will you tell them? Will you tell them? So no, preacher, you tell them. Okay, I'll try. I can't tell everybody. You tell them. You tell your family. You tell your friends. You tell them. We are to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that's for all mankind. There are people seeking. Has it ever dawned on you that you could very well be the answer to someone's prayer? (laughs) You say, yes, I was the answer to someone's prayer when I married her. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, God bless you. Okay. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. It could very well be the answer to someone's prayer because they're seeking the no truth. They may be crying on their pillow at night, God, send someone to tell me the truth. I just need to know what is the truth. They go to bed with fear in their heart and mind, not knowing. They may be your neighbor. Maybe your loved one, friend, somebody you work with. They may never know until you open your mouth, as Peter did, and tell them of Jesus Christ. Christ. Can I ask you a question? Has God ever put someone on your heart? Like, you know what I mean. God impressed someone upon your heart. God, you, you reach out to somebody and say, hey, just praying for today. God put you on my heart. You ever, you ever had that happen to you? Let me see your hand. God doesn't just do that just so we can mark off some spiritual checkbox, right? When God puts somebody on our heart, 
Mark it down and be, be, be assured that God is working in their lives somehow too. It may be somebody that knows the Lord. They just need a little encouragement from a fellow brother or sister in Christ. They need somebody to help them lift their burden and bear their burdens together. Or it may be somebody that doesn't know the Lord. But through circumstances of life, they're starting to seek Him. To want to know what's life really about. You remember the Ethiopian unit? When Philip was preaching down in Samaria, and the Bible says there's joy in all the city. Basically, a revival had broken out. There was one man... One man in the desert that took a copy of the, of the scroll and, uh, from Jerusalem and was reading in the prophet Isaiah. He was seeking. He was just left Jerusalem. Maybe a religious meeting of some kind left Jerusalem seeking. Not knowing exactly what it's all about, but seeking what happened. The Bible says that the Lord took Philip and put him next to that chariot. And as Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah, he said, Understandest what thou readest? Hey man, you understand what you're reading there? And the eunuch said, How can I except some men guide me? And I love what Philip did. He jumped up in that unit or in that, uh, that chariot with them, with that eunuch, and preached unto him Jesus. He was seeking. And needed someone to tell him and show him the way a little more clearer. And that was Philip. Listen. If God puts somebody on your heart, maybe it's on your heart right now. We we say amen, our last amen here this morning. I want to encourage you to reach out to them. Send them a text. Give them a call. Send them an email. Send smoke signals. Do something, all right? And reach out to them. Because if God's put them on your heart, He's done so for a reason. He's working in their life. Here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 19 through 20. So that after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, that's the disciples, went forth and preached everywhere. Here it is, listen. The Lord working with them. God is already working in people's lives on which he's put upon your heart. Go tell them. And he'll give you the grace and strength and power to talk to them. He really will. God gives wisdom. He'll do it. Go tell them. Understand, this was a, Cornelius here was a stand-up guy. He was a seeking man. And last and quickly, he was finally a saved man. Now look what the Bible says in verse 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? That these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. I believe that Cornelius and the rest of the folks there, his, his loved ones, his close friends and family, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, this praying man's prayers were, were answered. This good man became a saved man. He trusted the Lord. All because Peter came, opened his mouth, preached the gospel. After hearing the gospel, Cornelius believed on the Lord and was saved. And no longer trusting anything else he could ever muster up as far as his goodness goes. No, he's trusting Christ and Him alone. This is a very historic event in this chapter. (laughs) Seeing a Gentile Roman soldier being led to Christ by a Jewish fisherman. It's amazing. 
the door of the gospel being open to all the world. And Peter made it be known. He said, I understand now that God is no respecter of persons, that whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. I'm thankful the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's for anybody and everybody. And Peter needed to learn this lesson. And I believe he did because he went everywhere preaching the gospel. Folks, you can never give the wrong person the gospel. It's not possible. It's not possible. So I encourage you as we leave this morning to give them the gospel. So as we close, I ask you again, who is it that you know needs the Lord? Who is it that's on your heart that needs to know the truth of the gospel? We all know someone. And God doesn't put those, those names and minds on our hearts by accident, by chance. No, it's on purpose and for a purpose. So we, like Peter, will go, open our mouths and tell them the truth of his love for us, of his sacrifice, of his death, burial, and resurrection, all to give us life. And it's for anybody, whosoever, who call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. So will you go? Will you tell someone today because there's someone like Cornelius somewhere seeking, looking, praying to God for answers. And you may be that very answer.